And thank you all for being with us. Uh, we are actually in part three of a three-part series called In This Economy. And this has been a series all about money, and we talk about money here in our church because the Bible has a lot to say about money, and maybe you've noticed that money is a big part of our lives. How much of our lives do we spend earning it? How much of our lives do we spend spending it, or investing it, or wasting it, right? And so it's no wonder that God has a lot to say about money and how we should use it, how we should invest it, how we can put it to work for us. And so we've been talking about money in this series. In part one of the series, we took a look at this prayer from the book of Proverbs. And there's this guy named Agur, who was a wise, counterintuitive, and he lifts up this prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. We're cool with that. But then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want either one. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so I believe that this guy, Agar, was on to something. When we have so little, we're tempted to steal or we're tempted to take things that we shouldn't be taking. We get angry at God or whatever it may be. And when we have too much, we're tempted to rely on that too much that we have. We rely on ourselves and our bank account, our checking account, our investments and our retirement, all that stuff. And we can can forget God in the shuffle. And so this prayer, as counterintuitive as it may seem, there is wisdom in this prayer. Last week we talked about the fact that there is a financial burden associated with being a church. It costs money to be a church. There's a price tag in being a church. And it's the members of any local church. They're the ones, we're the ones that should carry the financial burden of the church, right? We don't go out to the community and ask them to pay for us to minister to them. How, how crazy is that? No, 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 no. It's those of us who are members of the church. We're the ones that shoulder the financial burden of being the church. That's just the way that it should be. Today we're going to talk about how we, the members of a local church, how we give. We, Hope Community Church, we are a church that believes in this practice of tithing, the discipline of tithing, and I'll explain what that means a little bit. Uh, First, to define that word tithing, that is uh, something that comes from the Old Testament. It literally means taking 10% of your income, 10% of what you receive, and giving it back to God. We can take a look at the history of that and where that came from and why we still practice it today, but that's what tithing is, giving 10% back to God. And when I say we believe in tithing, what I mean by that is we believe it's beneficial. There's a benefit to engaging in this discipline, in this practice. There's certain practices, certain disciplines that are beneficial to the collective and to the individual. Things like disciplines like showing up in a worship service, reading your Bible, praying every day, going to small group. There's a benefit associated with these types of practices and these types of disciplines and And tithing is one of these disciplines where we can experience a personal benefit and a collective benefit. And the collective benefit is obvious that we as a church can continue being a church as long as we have people financially supporting the church. So that, the collective benefit is is somewhat obvious. But we also believe, and I've lived this out and I believe this personally, that there is a personal blessing and a personal benefit that comes from this practice, tithing, choosing of our own free will, not because we're compelled to or because we're required to, but choosing to give back and to sacrifice to God. My history of tithing goes back to, to being a kid, actually like a, a preteen. And so um, some of you know this, a lot of you know this, I grew up in a church setting, and in that church setting, um, you look to people in your church community and you kind of take 
you know, their lead of how to live out what it means to be a Christian. And there were a few guys in particular. In fact, there were five guys in our church, my church growing up, that I looked to and I thought, these guys have their act together. They seem like they know what they're doing when it comes to living out their faith. These guys were all, um, they were all married. They all had kids. Their kids were Christians as well. And so you kind of look to people as examples of how you're supposed to do things. Do you, you do that too? Like you look at people who are doing like, well, I want, I want to do what they're doing. I want what they have, that type of thing. And so these five guys, and they were involved with teaching Sunday school or working with a youth group or working in the worship service. And one thing that they all had in common was they were all tithers. And they taught tithing and this practice of giving 10% back to God. And so I learned about tithing not from what the Bible said, but initially just based on what other people were doing. These guys have their act together. They've got their house in order. seems like they're paying all their bills. Their children are believers. I want what they have, and so let me follow this practice. It wasn't until later on that I actually learned about what, what the Bible has to say about this practice of tithing and giving back to God. But I think this is true for a lot of us, right? When it comes to giving, when it comes to how we support our local church or how we give to local charities, we take a page out of the book of the people in our lives, right? If you grow up in a household or you see examples of people that are expressing generosity, you're more likely to be generous as an adult. When you see people in your life giving back to God, you're more likely to give back to God and make that part of your routine, part of your life. So I witnessed that and I adopted that model. Let me just tell you that part of what makes it easier for Holly and I to tithe is the fact that I've always done it, right? If you always do it, you're just in that practice and you learn to live off the 90%. You don't really think twice about it. It's just, it's all there is to it. You know, when that paycheck comes in, you know that 10% is already, is already gone. And so all of us, I think we do this. We take a look at the people around us and we develop our own sense of what generosity looks like, what giving looks like, how we should be charitable. We develop that sense based on what we see, based on the examples in our lives. So let's take a look and what the Bible actually has to say about this practice. And if you want to go back, you can start all the way back in the book of Genesis. Go all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve and their two sons, their first two sons, Cain and Abel. And what we see is there's a lot of mystery surrounding you know, the details of what God commanded Cain and Abel to do. But what we see is that they are presenting sacrifices to the Lord. And that's the word, sacrifices. It was about the sacrifice. I'm giving back to God. And Abel, he worked with the livestock, and Cain worked from the land, and they brought their sacrifices to God. And so God must have told them or must have given them some kind of idea or instructions about presenting a sacrifice back to him. And what we're told in Scripture is that Abel, he brought the fat portions. That's the terminology. That's fun, isn't it? That used to be my nickname back in college, fat portion. Anyway, they brought, <laughs> Abel brought the fat portions, Whereas Cain, who worked the land and worked, you know, grew crops or whatnot, he just brought some before the Lord. And so the brothers are bringing their sacrifice before the Lord, and God preferred one sacrifice over the other. He saw what Abel brought. Okay, you've brought me the fat portions. You've brought me the first fruits. You've brought me the best. You've sacrificed the best to me. And he favored that offering. Meanwhile, Cain brought just some of what we presume were the leftovers, maybe his mentality is, you know, listen, this is not like going anywhere good, this isn't going to charity, I'm just burning this up, so I'm just going to give this to you, God, and there you go, there's your sacrifice. But God preferred Abel's sacrifice, and, and Cain got jealous over this, and God said to Cain, well, if you're jealous over this, just do like your brother did. Oh, isn't that great? Do you have siblings? 
Can't you act more like your brother? Did you ever hear that from your parents? Can't you act more like your sister? Oh, no way. But this didn't go over well, and all Cain had to do was bring the first fruits, bring the best of what he had to God, but instead he kills his brother. What's that say about us? What's that say about human nature and human beings? I think it says a lot. Let's talk about that another time. So let's move forward in history. We get to the time of Abraham, Father Abraham. God calls this man, originally named Abram, then God renames him Abraham. He's going to be the father of a nation. He's going to become the father of the Israelites. And so what we see in the life of Abraham is a man who has faith, a man who trusts, and a man who sacrifices back to God. We see a man who's also very wealthy and very generous. We see this in the life of Abraham. And at one point, Abraham comes across this guy, this guy who's both a king and a priest named Melchizedek, okay? You have to remember where we are in the timeline. This is before Moses, okay? This is before the nation of the Israel was established. This is before the Ten Commandments. This is before all the laws that God gave the Israelites. This is before all of that. And so Abraham comes face to face with this, this king priest, this king of Salem named Melchizedek. Fun fact about Melchizedek, some people believe that this is a theophany, which is an Old Testament physical appearance, physical manifestation of God himself. Some people believe that Melchizedek is a Christophany, which is a more specific an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Regardless, what we know about this guy is that he's both king and priest of the Most High God. And Abraham gives this king priest. He sacrifices, that's the key word, sacrifices 10% of all that he has, he gives to this king priest. Not because he was forced to, but because he chooses to make the sacrifice back to God. We move forward in the timeline. We get to that time of Moses, and really that nation of Israel became a nation in slavery in Egypt. Moses frees them from slavery in Egypt, and once they become a nation, God gives them laws to live by. Israel was the first, and to my knowledge, only true theocracy. So God was their president, was their king, was their lawmaking body, and God gave the Israelites laws to live by. And one of the laws, now it's official, one of the laws that God gave to this specific community, the Israelites, he told them to tithe, to bring 10% to the temple, to bring 10%. Now this was in addition to the sacrifices that they were to present to God for their own atonement, for their sins. So tithing was now not just a good idea, not just a free will practice, but something that the Israelites were commanded commanded to do. And so now it went beyond just being a sacrifice. There was a more practical need for that tithe, a more practical use for the tithe. I mean, if you take a look at the Old Testament law that God gave Moses to give to the Israelites, there's so much in there about providing for the poor, providing for the widow, providing for the orphan, providing for the alien in your midst. I mean, there's so much charity that God had just told you have to be charitable to other people and you have to give back to God. And this was all built into, built into their laws. And so it's no longer just a good idea. It's no longer a free will practice. God put it into the laws of the nation of Israel. And so if you know anything about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is essentially the story of God and one group of people. We meet some other people outside of the nation of Israel. But it's mostly just about God and his relationship with Israel. And God says, when you love me and serve me, I'll love being your God and I'll take care of you and I'll protect you. But when you don't want anything to do with me, I'm going to turn you over to your enemies. And that's really what happens throughout the Old Testament history. I mean, they start off kind of rocky. They are a theocracy under God, and they want themselves the king. He's like, can we have a king like everybody else? And God says, well, can't I just be your king? He's like, we want to be like everybody else. He's like, you don't want to be like everybody else. It's not going to work out for you. 
You get a human king, you're going to get taxed, you're going to get sent to these wars, and you're not going to go enough if they're just or not, but they beg and they plead, and they say, okay, fine, you can have a king, King Saul. Doesn't work out great. There's second King David. Works out a lot better. King David's a great king. You get to King Solomon. Under King Solomon's rule, Israel was the superpower of the world, the most powerful and wealthiest nation in the world. But Solomon experiences a fall at the end of his life, and in the future generations, the kingdom of Israel is divided to the northern and the southern kingdom. And eventually, those kingdoms, as they stray from God under a series of kings, they're taken captive by other lands. They're taken captive by other nations. Some of them are killed. A lot of them are wiped out. They're taken captive out of the land that God had given to them. Eventually, and God promised this would happen, eventually they're allowed to return back to their land, back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and they go back. And we get to the time of Ezra, the time of Nehemiah, and there's this kind of trickle effect where they go back to Jerusalem and they eventually rebuild the wall around the city, and they eventually rebuild the temple, and they're very excited about this. And there's this great period of restoration where they find the law. So here's the law that we're supposed to be living by. And they stand up, and Ezra and Nehemiah and some others, they read from the law, and there's this collective crying of the nation. Oh, here's what we're supposed to be doing. And so they reinstate the sacrificial system, and they reinstate all the laws, and they reinstate the tithe, and they're back to doing to what God called them to do. Yes! Yes! Yes, and then the excitement begins to fade. And they get a bit, little bit lax about their worship practices. And they get a little bit lax about presenting the tithe to God. We get to the time of Malachi. So let's take a look at this passage in your bulletin. Malachi is an interesting book. You know, when people like me, when preachers, when we're talking about tithing, we tend to reference this chapter here, chapter 3. But it's not just about tithing this book. It's also about being lax in worship, lax in obeying God in all areas. And so these are the words that God gives to Malachi to give to the people. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Just the concept is ridiculous. How can a person rob from God? God says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And so here you had a situation where the Israelites thought, okay, we're back. We've rebuilt the temple. Okay, it's nothing like the first one, but we rebuilt the temple, and we rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. Why aren't things going well for us? What about all these promises of God? God's saying, well, I'm telling you why I'm not blessing you. There was conditions attached to that blessing. That if you honor me, if you serve me, I will protect you, I will bless you. And you wonder why you're under a curse. You're under a curse because you're robbing me. Robbing God? Verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe. And so what you had is, you have to keep this in mind, okay? Yeah, it was a law. Right? God said you have to tithe. This is part, you know, to be an Israelite, this is the law that you live by. You tithe, you give 10% back. Okay, it's the law. But at the same time, who's going to know, right? At the same time, there was a faith thing to this, a good faith thing. And you bring that gift before the Lord, yeah, yeah, this is 10%. Sure it is. Yeah. Like no one's checking your W-2s, right? The priests aren't coming and say, what did you really make? No, this isn't 10%. So there was a faith process to this. And so we're led to believe, based on what it says to bring the whole tithe, that some people will bring, no, this is totally 10%. And God's like, no, 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 no. You trying to rip me off? I mean, the priest's not going to know, but I'm going to know. Bring the, whole, bring the whole thing. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you know of anywhere else in Scripture where God says, put me to the test in this? When it comes to our finances, He says, go ahead, put me to the test. Test me in this. Go ahead, bring the full 10% and put me to the test, and I'll show you that you'll be able to prosper on the 90 that you're left with. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so Malachi speaks to, who's he speaking to? The Israelites, the nation of Israel. This is the time before Jesus telling them, bring that full tithe to the storehouse. Time goes on. We eventually get to the time of Jesus. Now Jesus brings something new. Jesus brings a new covenant. And this new covenant, this new arrangement, this new deal that God was going to make with all people, it was promised way back in Genesis, way back in the time of Abraham. So God tells Abraham, yes, I'm going to make you into a nation, but one day your descendants are going to bless not just one nation, but all people. And all throughout the prophecies we learn about God, he's going to do something new in the future. And the prophecies of Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells the people that God is going to create a new covenant, not like the covenant between Moses and one nation, but a new covenant with all people. And it's going to be a covenant that's, that's written on our hearts instead of written in stone. And Jesus comes to us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he explains that he is here not to get rid of the old covenant, not to abolish the law and the prophets, which is what they called the Old Testament. No, I'm not here to get rid of that. I'm here to fulfill this law. I'm here to fulfill this covenant. That's what Jesus says he's here to do. He's not erasing it. He's not nullifying it. But he is here to bring it to its completion, to fulfill the reason and the meaning behind that old covenant covenant. Jesus gets more specific at the Last Supper with his, his disciples. He says that he is here to bring this new covenant. He shares the cup of the new covenant. He says, this is my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant. And it's shed not just for Israel, but for all people. All that to say that the old covenant commands, the command that God made to the Israelites, you must tie. The command that God makes that you must go and present your sacrifices to the Lord. All those commands are fulfilled and completed in Jesus. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Christians out there, is that you are not under a law or a command to tithe. Should we close in prayer there? Huh? You like that? No, no, no. That command has been fulfilled. That old covenant, that old, that's, that's not for you. That was for the Israelites, right? But why, why, why do we still tithe? If we don't have to, why are there Christians that still engage in this discipline, still engage in this practice? The answer is surprisingly simple, that the command that you must do it is gone, but the promise of God's blessing, if we do engage in this practice, well, that promise remains. The promise of God is that when we engage in this practice, there will be enough for us, there will be enough for everyone. There is a blessing here. What does God say? Put me to the test. You give me 10%, you will prosper on the 90%. Test me in this. I'm going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't be able to contain it. Now, maybe you've heard of this thing called the prosperity gospel. Have you heard of this thing? Or it's uh, preachers. You'll often see them on television. Kind of make this case for if you give to God, then you're going to get rich, right? 
Give money to God and it'll make you rich, right? It'll make you financially rich. Guess what? That's not exactly what God promises. It's really not. God doesn't promise that if you sacrifice to him that you'll get rich. That's not it. That's not it. But you will be blessed. You will receive God's blessing. When we give a tithe, not because we have to, but because we choose to. When we give that tithe, we receive a blessing from God. And sometimes that blessing, yeah, it's not to say that it can't be wealth. Sure, it could be. But that's not specifically the thing. We receive some type of blessing. And maybe the blessing is just that we're able to thrive off the 90%. Now, I can tell you, as a lifelong tither, I know what it is to have lean times in life, right? <laughs> in fact, Holly and I have stories to tell you about lean times in life. There's a three points in our history. I can say, wow, why are we going to make ends meet? But I can tell you that as tithers, we've always been able to survive and pay our bills and thrive and have more than what we need. And so we believe in the tithe. Several years ago, uh, one of my close personal friends that I've never met uh, named Andy Stanley he did this talk about tithing, and I heard him give this talk, and I'm like, this whole, the whole thing makes a lot of sense the way that he put it. And so he breaks down what we do with our money into three different categories. And so, hey, we got some props today. How about that? I feel like I should do a magic trick with this table set up, but I got, I got nothing for you. I got nothing for you. Not today, anyway. And so we have these different categories of what we can do with our money, how we can use, how we can invest, how we can spend, how we can waste our money, different categories. One thing we do with our money is... Live. It says live for those of you in the back. Live. We can live. We can use our money to live. Buy food. Buy water. Buy shelter. We use our money to live. That's one thing we do with money. And, and like, a pretty important one, right? It takes money in this world to live. And save. You can live with your money. You can save your money. What else can you do? You can give. Give to your local church if you're a believer that belongs to a local church. Give to a charity, give to a cause that you believe in, give for cancer research, give for whatever it is. You can give it away, give it to people who are in need, give that money away. You can live, you can save, you can give, right? There you go. Question for us is, those of us who are followers of Jesus, how do we arrange these as priorities? What's the first thing that we need to do? Now listen, if you're not really being intentional about it, it seems like they're arranged correctly. Well, first thing, I mean, goodness gracious, you need to live. So that needs to be your first priority, right? First priority is live. And if you have any extra, then maybe you're able to save. And if there's any extra after that, well, then maybe, just maybe, just maybe, out of the leftovers, we'll give back to God. Do it like the Cain approach, just giving God the leftovers. What we're shown in Scripture is something different. The whole idea of first fruits, the whole idea of the tithe is to bring that percentage, to bring that to God first, to give to God first. You know why? Because if you don't give first, you might not ever make it. You might say, okay, I'm just going to live and I've spent everything on living. Oh, wait, I got a little bit extra, but that's, that's all I got. That's all I got. If we don't give first, we might not give at all. And here's the big problem for us. That, you know, those of us who live in the United States of America, or in any first world nation, is that we have a tough time telling the difference between expenses that are necessary to live and, here's a category I made up, non-essentials. This is our problem, right? You know, we get these things confused. Well, I need, like, listen, I need food to live, right? I need groceries, and I need to go out to dinner, and I need to go out to the fanciest restaurant in the world. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sometimes we get confused, right? 
I need to pay my bills, and I need, I need to pay my cable bill. Do you really need to pay your cable bill? Well, it's my internet too, and I need my internet to work. And so, yes, that's, that's a live, and I need my cell phone. Do you really need your cell phone? No, I need my cell phone for work, and I need to go on vacation. Are you kidding me? I, I am I'm made for Sabbath. I need a time to rest. I'm only human. But do I need that vacation? Do I need to spend that kind of money? And so, listen, I, I, I'm not saying... Friends, I'm not saying it's wrong to spend into this category. What I'm saying is that we have a tough time sometimes telling the difference between what's essential to live and what is a non-essential, right? We get these things confused. Now, if we arrange this in a way, again, this is just for those of you who are Christians, if we want to arrange our financial priorities in a way that honors God, we start with give. That's the whole idea of first fruits, going back to Abel. We start with that 10%. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, I mean, how often are we told to work hard and store up and save because there's a day coming where we not be, might be able to work, right? And so as an exercise in humility, as an exercise in wisdom, and acknowledging there's going to be a future day where I'm not able to do this and I'm not going to be able to earn a paycheck anymore, right? You know, 10 years ago when I started Hope Community Church, I'm like, I'm going to do this forever, right? And now I feel like I'm going to have to retire at some point, right? I can't do this forever, Right? And so as an exercise in humility and knowing that there's going to be a time where maybe you're not able to work anymore, let's, let's save. Let's put some away so that we can take care of ourselves when we're older. That's just wisdom. Here's the big caveat for this category right here. Okay? Whatever we put into savings, whether it's a traditional savings account or investments or retirement, whatever it is, whatever's in this category, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to give him access to our savings accounts. All right? Because we might be saving up to buy a new home. We might be saving up for retirement. And then God lays something on our hearts. I need you to, boom, do something else with this money. I need you to pay off their mortgage bill. I need you to pay for that person to go to school. You never know what God might call you to do. But as long as you give get God access to your savings, you're safe to save. Right? There's this parable that Jesus tells about a man. He's working the land, and he has such a, an amazing harvest that he's able to tear down his, own, his old storehouses and build up new ones. He's like, man, I've got, I'm set for life. And he puts all of his grain into these storehouses, and then he dies that night. God says to him, you fool. You could have done so much with the, those blessings that you had. Instead, they're all wasted. Now you're dead. What are you going to do with them, right? What are you going to do with them now? So some people think that's a call to not, hey, Jesus is saying we shouldn't save. No, no, no. He's not saying you shouldn't save. He's saying we can't be selfish and greedy. There's a difference, right? We don't save because we're greedy and selfish. No, no, no. As long as we give God access to what's in there, then we're okay. And so we give, then we save, then we live. Now, if you live like this, what you might discover is that by the time you get here, you don't have enough left over to spend anything in this non-essential category, right? You might discover that. Well, guess what? This category, this is where we get ourselves in trouble, right? Week one of this series, I told you, it doesn't take money to sin, but it helps. It helps, right? And so if you realize, man, if I'm going to arrange my, my financial priorities to give first, then save, like 10% here, 10% here, and then live off the rest, goodness gracious, what about all this other fun stuff? Well, God, you know what? It's not, it's, not, it's not essential. Maybe this is God's way of protecting you from spending in this category. One of my mentors uh, became a brand, he has a story when he became a brand new Christian. One of the first things that he and his wife started doing was tithing, which is funny because that's usually like the last thing a person does when they become a Christian. It's like the last thing to go, right? 
But it's the first thing it did. So why did you do that? It's like, because we needed to. We needed to. Because if we didn't give first, then we're going to end up spending money in this category. This only got us into trouble. Okay? And so here's how it looks to honor God with what you have. Not because you have to. Not because you're under a law that God says you have to do this. No, but we choose to give back to God. Become a percentage giver. A first fruits sacrificer. Choosing to give back to God. And then we can save and then we can live. And you know what? may turn out we even have room for some non-essentials in our lives. This is a visual representation of what it looks like to honor God with our wealth. I want to thank you, those of you in this room who have practiced this discipline of tithing. And I want to encourage you, those of you who have never done this thing, you've never given this a try, give it a try. And if 10% is a big leap, if right now it's like 0%, from 0% to 10% is a big leap. I want to challenge you. Become a percentage giver. Become a percentage giver. One of the things about percentage giving is that no matter what is going on with your income, right, if all of a sudden you're unemployed and make zero, what's 10% of zero? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? And so we're safe that way, to become a percentage, percentage giver. I want to challenge you to do that. If you're thinking about this whole tithing thing, like, you know what? I've heard about this. I've read about this. This isn't the first message I've heard about tithing. I'm finally going to do this thing. If the only thing that's holding you back is you're not sure about this church, I want to do the tithe thing. I just don't know about Hope Community Church. Listen, there's a solution for that. Tithe somewhere else, right? Because ultimately, it's about you and your relationship with God. It's not about us as a church. And so if that's the, if that's the only thing holding you back, then find another church to tithe to, right? And you should probably follow your money over there and serve and be a part of that ministry, right? So give, save, live, and then, then we might even have room for non-essentials. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have non-essentials in your life. We all do. It's not wrong. But when we give first, then we're safe. Those of us who have been practicing tithing for a while, we've all realized something. That tithing, to give that 10%, it's not the end of giving back to God. The tithe, and you'll discover this too, the tithe is just the beginning, Right? Sometimes we Christians, we hide behind the tithe. Well, I'm not really serving. I'm not helping in my community. I'm not volunteering. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm hiding behind the tithe. At least I give. At least I give. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's just the beginning. If you take a look at the New Testament, the New Covenant, what Jesus commands, he does not command 10%. You know what Jesus commands? It's 100%. He wants us to be all in. And so the tithe, friends, it's not the end of giving back to God. It's not the end of our sacrifice. It's just the beginning. I mentioned my close personal friend, Andy Stanley, and how I saw him give this demonstration years and years ago. Let me tell you a fun fact. Um, He preached this same sermon for 25 years in a row, 25 years in a row, preached the tithing sermon without backing down, without getting kind of squirmy about it. Oh, I don't want to talk about money. He just went for it for 25 years in a row, not just him, but the other pastors, preaching pastors on staff. They went for it. Preaching the, the value, the benefit, the discipline of tithing. And after 25 years, they had established a strong enough base that they could change the focus of their money sermons, right? Nowadays, they don't really talk too much about the tithe. It's just a quick mention. Nowadays, they talk about how can we as a church give to other organizations, other charities? How can we invest in clean water? How can we invest in education? How can we invest in providing clothing for those who are in need? How can we invest in giving food to those who are in need? They're able to change their focus entirely. And so now once a year when they talk about money, it's barely about the tithe at all. How can we help other people? 
Wouldn't you love that as a church? If we had enough of a base that when we talked about tithing, it's not like tithe, 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 tithe. No, no, no. It's just a quick mention and then we focus on other things. Wouldn't you love that? I'd enjoy that. I'd enjoy that, right? In fact, friends, secret time, that's what I'm working towards. Let's get there. Let's establish a strong enough base so that when we talk about tithing, it's like, boop, little mention, and then we get on to what else we can do with our money, right? This is what we want as a church. We want to be able to take care of other people to bless other people, but we need, we need a critical number of tithers to succeed in our endeavors as a church. So far, our history as a church is we have been blessed. We started 10 years ago, and all throughout this time, we've always had enough. And so thank you to those of you who give consistently. Thank you to our first fruits givers. Thank you to our percentage givers. And thank you to our tithers. Because the work that we do as a church cannot be done without your support. Thank you. Let's pray on that. Father, when we play the comparison game, when we look at our finances, when we look at our lives, we can, we can get fixated on those who have more than us. Father, I, I pray that you would give us all perspective. Help us to appreciate whatever it is we have, however much or however little. And Father God, let us acknowledge that the only reason we have what we have is because of you. You have blessed us, God. You've connected us with employment. You've connected us with friends. You've connected us with family. You've connected us with people who've been a blessing to us. And every good and perfect gift, God, comes from above. It comes from you. And so, Father God, help us cultivate an appreciation for what we have. Father, I pray for all the people in this room and all the people watching online that that you would move in our spirits. Show us how to take that next step forward in sacrificing to you, show us what that looks like. And Father God, be with us in our humanity because you know we get fatigued. We get tired. We get tired of giving back. We get tired of, of making sacrifices and serving. And sometimes, God, we, we Christians, sometimes we just feel like, isn't that enough? God, we know it's never enough. There's always more we can do for you. There's always more that we can give. There's always more ways that we can serve. And so, Father God, whether it's with our finances or whether it's in some other arena of life, just show us what's that next step that we can take in serving you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.